Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We are not doing this, however, without considering the works we are committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day, right? We've we've got to acknowledge you moms. And there's a number of things that we have for you moms this morning. But the first thing I'd like to do is I'd like to have all the moms who are here stand up so that we can recognize you. Everyone who is a mom, stand up. All right. Now, as you're standing, our protege team is going to hand you out a little uh, bag. These bags were handcrafted. In them, you will find some seeds. I forget why they're seeds, so you can grow stuff. Um, There is also a bookmark for you. There is also a rock with an encouraging word that was handmade for you, and they are like snowflakes, okay? Every rock is different. And they were prayed over this morning so that the word that you get will have meaning to you, will touch you in some way. We want you to understand that you are blessed, that it is something that is a lifelong commitment to be a mom. Every time a child is born, a mother is born as well. And so we acknowledge the work that is involved in being a mother. We acknowledge the needs that we have had, those of us who have had mothers, which is all of us, by the way. And the, um, the role that moms have played in our lives, not only keeping us safe and healthy and alive, but the love and nurture that only comes from a mom. Uh, no one will love you as long as your mom has, okay? From the time you were born until she goes or you go, there is going to be love. And with that, I know that with Mother's Day, there also comes a heartache. And I want to recognize the moms who have passed but have left an impression. So if you have lost your mom, I would like you to stand. I want to acknowledge your mom even 
through the loss. Those of you who are moms, you can still remain standing. Just want you to know that we recognize that. And also I know that some of you maybe are trying to be moms and it has been a difficult thing because you haven't been able to have children and there's a, a heartache that you have. We want to acknowledge just that there is a pain in this. And so when Mother's Day comes, it could be a difficult time for you as well. Or those of you who have lost your children, even as Ben had mentioned, you know, his brother uh, and his wife had lost, had a stillborn and the heartache that they would feel on this day, um, we feel and God feels. And let me pray for you, moms. God, we thank you for the moms who are here. We thank you for the role that they play in their children's life. And I pray that you give them wisdom. Lord, I pray you give them strength. I pray you give them patience. I pray that you would help them to raise their children in ways that are going to be healthy and productive, help them to acknowledge you in their life. And I pray for those who are hurting this morning because of the loss, maybe of a child or maybe of a mom. And Lord, I pray you would comfort them even as we acknowledge the impact that those moms have been in their lives, Lord. We honor them, Father, with our lives. And we thank you for your goodness to us and blessing us with moms. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We are going to conclude our talk in the book of Jonah and in very significant ways I think it's appropriate. Uh, You can turn to Jonah chapter 4. It's appropriate because really the book of Jonah has been about God's heart of compassion. I don't think anything shows a heart of compassion and love probably more than a mom's heart. But turn to Jonah chapter 4. And and this morning, I'm going to talk about binge-watching television programs. I'm going to talk about my basketball team and choosing teams in sixth grade. I'm going to talk about nervous dogs. I'm going to talk about applying for the police department. And I'm going to talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Bet you didn't see that one coming. Okay. Jonah chapter 4. Let's start with verse 5 and let's read to the end of the chapter. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity or have compassion on the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity or have compassion on Nineveh, 
the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle or their animals. What's happening here is a continuation. God is not done talking to Jonah. Have you noticed that they've made television programs in such a way that they leave you hanging for next week's? Is anyone hooked on a television program? Come on, we're in church. Be honest. All right. What are some of the programs you're hooked on right now? What's that? When Calls the Heart. Sounds like a woman one to me. Okay. <laughs> what is it over? Days of our lives. Okay. Well, okay. I know I'm, I'm hooked on like Better Call Saul. Anyone a Better Call Saul fan? That's like amazing. Okay. And they leave you at the end of the program with this kind of cliffhanger because they want you to tune in next week, Right. The great thing is like some of the programs that I got hooked on, like Breaking Bad, I didn't start watching it until it was like in the third season. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm going to start watching this. And so you go to Netflix or you can get it on DVD when they still had blockbuster stores and stuff. You would go and then you could just start watching them one after another or uh, right. The binge watching. And so you watch one. It's like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Well, uh, one more. Okay, I'll watch one more. And now it's three in the morning, right? I've watched four of these programs and they leave me on a cliffhanger saying, I got to find out what happened, you know? And so it's like, do I go to sleep or do I, I can go to work without sleep? I don't need sleep. I can watch two more and be pushing through it. They get you so that you're wanting to know what happens next. And, and really what's happening here is we are leaving an end of the story. In other words, God accomplished what he wanted to with Nineveh, but it is actually the beginning of another story because God is now beginning to do what he has wanted to do with Jonah. And it's really important to understand because I'm warning you that God and every ending, he has a new beginning. Are you ready for a new beginning this morning? Got one. Okay, the rest of you, I hope it changes by the time we're done here. The whole point, too, thank you for that. I'll wait for, the buses will wait until you say yes. Um, There is something transpiring where God is finishing with one thing, but it is so that he can begin something else. And it's real important that we understand this because he's moving us forward. He accomplished what he wanted to with Nineveh, but not quite what he wanted to with Jonah. Everyone else in this story has had something similar. They've all been Gentiles. All the characters have been responsive to God, even though they were not part of the Jewish people. The only one who hasn't been responsive is Jonah. They've all done what they are supposed to do. Jonah alone is the unresponsive one. He's even rebellious against what God is doing. And God resumes his conversation with Jonah. Remember, he started off in verse 2, I believe it was. He says, are you angry? And Jonah doesn't answer. But now he asks him again, are you right to be angry? 
And so he's pushing the conversation for. And in verse 9, we see that it is God Elohim. Again, Elohim is the general God. It is God who is creator, God who is uh, creator of both Israel and the Gentiles. When you see the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, it's the word Yahweh, and that is the name of God to the Jewish people. It is more personal. And so here in verse 9, he starts off and he tells them, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And so he's starting kind of from this distance generic term and he's saying, do you choose the right thing by being angry? When I was in the sixth grade, the way we would play sports, we'd have recess or lunch and we'd get the basketball or you'd get the kickball or you'd go to whatever you wanted to do and you'd play whatever sport or hang out at the benches. And so we would get a basketball. That was the kind of sport I would choose. And then you had to pick teams, right? And the thing about picking teams is there's always, you know, seven guys. And so you've got one extra that gets left out. And I never wanted to be the guy left out because that would just make me feel terrible. So I would always volunteer to be one of the guys who picked the teams. That way I'm sure to be on a team. Plus I could pretend to be like, yeah, I'm in charge. You know, it's my team. Yeah, it wasn't that great, but I had my team, you know. And what's happening here is that Jonah is choosing a team but God is actually making other choices because he always felt bad for that guy who was left out. Sorry, Andy, we got all the players and you didn't get picked. And Andy never got picked, right? Because Andy couldn't play basketball. And so poor Andy always suffered at the end. I don't know if they've changed that now so that that doesn't you know, devastate some poor child the rest of his life. But that's what would happen with us. There would be the odd number and Andy, you got to either go find somebody no, you can't get him because he can't play, you know, and Andy would be searching the school ground to get one other person to play basketball. Did this happen to anyone else? I feel like I'm just like, okay, how many were Andy? Let's have a, a okay, sorry for all you Andys out there. I, I know it's a difficult thing, you know, but what Jonah had thought was this Yahweh belongs to us the Jewish people. He did not want to extend that to the Ninevites. He didn't even really extend it to the ship and the people who were on the ship. He wanted them to kind of fend for themselves. It wasn't until he was pressed that he revealed who Yahweh was to them. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 29, Paul says, Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, he is God of the Gentiles also. You see, the whole point was God is not just the God of this nation. He is God of all nations. And, and I want to, you know, you, you hear that passage and we kind of put it in that frame of time. But I really want to challenge us to think of it in different. Is God the God of Christians only? Is he not also the God of non-Christians you see, he, yes, he is the God of non-Christians as well. 
And it opens our eyes to understand this, okay, that helps us to see that he is pushing us to see bigger than maybe we are comfortable with, maybe than what we are used to. And he asked Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry? This is the same question he asked before, but now the subject is specific. It's about the withered plant. And he's asking him, do you have the right to be angry about this plant? And he starts to respond because he's saying, yeah, I I do have a right to be upset. And and God is coaxing Jonah to start thinking, to get him out of his kind of hyper-emotional state where he's just angry and trying to get him to be a little bit more objective towards the plant and towards Nineveh. See, if you can see this about the plant, can you see this about the city? Because being conscious of what we are feeling is our first step to moving towards rational thinking. It's to become aware, conscious of what we're feeling. Just because you are feeling something doesn't mean you are what you're feeling. You have the ability to think beyond that. And Jonah's answer was affirmative. Okay, and it was intensely passionate when God says, do you have a right to be angry about this plant? And he says, yes, I do have a right to be angry. Leslie Allen in his commentary says the Hebrew construction of Jonah's reply partly has the force of an expletive. Philip Carey in his commentary translated, do you have the right to be angry? He says, damn right, I'm angry. That's the force of what he's saying. And I like that. Some of you might be like, whoa, wait a second. You just said that. God is being honest here. Can we be honest here? God is being honest with what Jonah is going through. Can you be honest or do you want to back away from what is true and what is happening? See, the problem is when you don't address what's real and you start hiding it and you put up a facade and you don't deal with what's really going on. Because Jonah is angry. And that is an accurate representation of what the scriptures actually say. There's passages in the New Testament where Paul says, I count these things dung. He wasn't using the word manure. I'm not going to say what he's using. I just want you to think about these things, that Scripture is honest. And it is using the language that captures the emotion because God is trying to get to the heart. So anytime you maybe feel angry and these are the things that you want to say, and I've been with some of you and I've heard you say some things at times when things are difficult, right? won't call on any names. But those are the things that come out of us, and God is big enough to deal with those things. He's big enough to see these things and understand it. You see, Jonah's upset, and it's been piling up. It's been piling up since he was on the ship, right? He wanted to run away. He wanted to get out of that, and finally he snaps, and he responds to God. And he says, I'd rather die than have to deal with the hurt that I'm feeling right now. Why would he say that? Well, because he can't run away from God. He tried that once, didn't work. So I can't just run away. I guess the only thing left for me is to die. 
So he's kind of at his wits end. He's wanting to be done with this. So the option that remains is I just need to be dead. Verse 10, it says, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. God, now Yahweh, See, the Lord said, this is the personal God now pushing into the conversation. And it's real important that we see the distinguishing words that are used for God and now Yahweh that's pushing in because now it is, yeah, this is your God speaking to you, the God who you know, who knows you, the God who is personal. And first God asks questions of Jonah that God obviously knows the answer to, but why does he ask Jonah? Why does he ask Jonah, is this right for you to feel this way? Because what he's trying to do is get Jonah to respond and to think. Years ago, I applied for the Glendale Police Department. Be thankful I never got that job. I'm dys- dyslexic. I would be reading license plates the wrong. You'd be getting called in. But that wasn't me. I wasn't. Yeah, I saw that license plate. I just, it, it wasn't, it wouldn't have been a good job for me. But when I went through the oral interview, I had a friend who was with the police department and he was coaching me through that. He's saying, they're going to ask you questions that doesn't have a right or wrong answer. You you can't answer it right. They want to see how you respond to these difficult situations. And so one of the questions they ask you is if you pulled, if you saw someone speeding and you pulled it over and it was your mom, would you give her a ticket? Because they want to know, are you going to really give your mom a ticket? And I said, no, she's the best babysitter we have, okay? (laughs) And I got smiles from them because they were pretty staunch. And it's like, no, they got smiles. And you see, what they were trying to find out was, do you understand the spirit of the law or are you just abiding by the letter of the law? Because the spirit of the law is something where you have to discern and kind of read into this and it's not something that's always black and white. Now, there are some guys that say, yeah, I'd give my mom a ticket because it's the law, you know, those kinds of things. But then they push harder into these guys. Really, you're going to give your own mom a ticket? What kind of son are you to give your mom a ticket, right? So I knew this going into it, so I said, no, I'm not going to give my mom a ticket. Besides, I really wouldn't. She was the best babysitter we had. The whole point was, do you understand the purpose of this law? Because it is there to help bring order. It's not there so that you can wield control. And it's important that we understand that God is asking a question that he knows the answer to because he wants Jonah to think, what is the spirit of what God wants here? What is he trying to do? What is he trying to get me to understand? There's something underlining this question that's pushing Jonah to see what is happening. Why is this happening? And it's really important, but to have ability to understand that, he has to calm down first. And oftentimes, questions are the best way to help you calm down. We do this with children, right? The kid's upset, upset because, you know, he doesn't get ice cream. 
And then we say, do you want to play with your truck? You're trying to get his mind off the ice cream and onto the truck, right? We have lots of trucks at our house to get our you know, grandson, hey, do you want to play with this truck? you want to play with this? Find something that can get his mind focused on something else. When I'm doing training, if I've got a dog that's really nervous, the dog is locked into this mindset. It doesn't think. What I have to do is try to engage the dog to think about something else. So one of the things I do is I force dogs into a stay. You have to lay down and stay. You can't do anything about that nervousness. You have to think more about the fact that you have to stay than what you're nervous of. And then the dog's like, I'm nervous. I got to stay. I'm nervous. I got to stay. I'm nervous. I? You know, and the dog's just sitting there. And the dog might be shaking at first trying to figure out, I, I can't go anywhere. I call it mandatory meditation, right? You can't do anything, so chill out. And at first the dog will be sitting there shaking. I can't, I can't, I, I, I'm afraid of the mailman, whatever he, the dog's worrying about, right? But then after a while, so the dog's like, I just got to stay. Oh, that's not important. Why? Because now I'm thinking about something else. And God is pushing Jonah to start thinking about things a little more deeply. He's trying to get him to calm down from this emotional state that he's in. God's logic here is really important. Instead of just reason from, you know, something that is less to greater, what he's trying to do is get him, or he's trying to get him to reason from what is less to greater. And and this is something that happens throughout Scripture. Jesus says, if you're faithful in the small things, then God will give you the larger things. Or he said, if God cares about the sparrows, how much more will he care about you? See, he's starting with something that you can get your mind around so that it helps you understand something that's bigger that maybe you're having a difficult time getting your mind around. Jonah, you're so worried about this plant. Look at this city. And he's trying to get him to start thinking, settle down, and open this possibility that actually God is doing something more. God is reaching and extending himself even further than Jonah thought. And God is so gracious to Jonah, isn't he? I mean, Jonah is just being a jerk this whole time. God, I want you to go. Nope, goes the other way. Okay, the ship's sinking. Yeah, it's me. Okay, get me over the ship. Okay, yeah, Nineveh, 40 days, you're going to perish. And then he goes to see maybe God will still destroy the city. Now he's upset about a plant. Yeah, God, I knew you were going to be compassionate. What a great guy, right? It's like, Jonah, come on. They're going to write a book about you. This is going to be for everyone to see. God is being extremely compassionate with Jonah. And again, it's on purpose. He takes the time to patiently explain his concerns to Jonah. He doesn't do, hey, because I said so, right? Any parents say, because I said so. Anyone, I've said it. My hand is raised. I've said it. Now, there's sometimes that God does say it. There's sometimes that God, you know, will tell one of the prophets, hey, this is what I want you to do because I said it. But here, God is being patient. He's not just saying, I'm God, I said so, do it. He's actually trying to reason with Jonah to get him to think. He's trying to help him. He's being patient with him. And so the relationship between them is crucial to Jonah's change of heart. In other words, the soft answer is producing the ability to respond. 
And it's important that we understand that God is being soft with Jonah because God is trying to turn Jonah. That God oftentimes will be soft with us to try and touch us. And oftentimes we need to take that as well when we're dealing with people, we're dealing with our children. Because people don't respond well when you're blasting them, when you're picking a fight, when you're yelling at them. They're a lot more responsive when you reason. I understand sometimes kids are unreasonable. And sometimes you have to say, because I said so. <laughs> you know, I've, had, I've asked, I said why 15 times, because that's enough. You got to go to your room. But sometimes we need to take the time and reason. And God is doing it with Jonah. The heart of Jonah's contention is God's compassion. That's what was there in verse 2. You had to understand, Jonah, you had compassion on a plant. I'm having compassion on a city. What drew compassion from Jonah? A plant. What's drawing compassion from God? 120,000 people and their animals. Just throws that in. I think that's kind of funny. And the cattle. You see, what's the comparison here? Which is better? Which is more important? And Jonah didn't put any work into the plant. He just received the benefit. God appointed it. Then it died. It perished. That word perished is something that happens again. The the sailors thought they were going to perish. Nineveh was going to perish. Here, the plant perishes. The plant had the fate that the Ninevites were going to have. Now it became the real fate. Seeing it in the plant, can you understand what was the fate of this city? And what drew Jonah's compassion for the plant, God had prevented from happening to the people. If your compassion justifies your anger, can't my compassion justify my mercy? You see, your compassion moved you to be angry. My compassion moved me to be merciful. Do you understand that? Can you recognize that? Because this is where the story ends, where it begins with the Ninevites. God emphasizes in his conclusion by stressing how many humans' lives were at stake. How many? And how lost were those people? They didn't know their right hand from their left. If you don't know your right hand from your left, you're in trouble. Because I can give you directions. Yeah, go down to the gas station, turn right. You'll get to the gas station and then you're lost. In fact, earlier in chapter 3, it says that they, the wickedness, we need to turn from the wickedness that is in our hand. Well, maybe they didn't even know any better, right? They, they didn't know it was wicked because that's all they knew. And God was trying to help them to be aware of the right and the left, to to see things more accurately, to see things as they really were. And so God is asking Jonah, if they don't know any better, are you going to hold them accountable? Now, for years I had heard this age of accountability. You guys heard this? There's the age of accountability. What is the age? It's 75, right? No, I just... (laughs) 
It's like we don't know what that age is. The whole idea is when you know better, then you shouldn't do that. But what if you grew up not knowing better? What if you grew up in a way that was deprived from this ability? What if you grew up not knowing a mercy or what that looked like? You know, if you're in a bus and it's crowded and you're feeling a little perturbed and all of a sudden someone bumps into you rather hard and you turn around and you're going to get upset with them because like, hey, can't you see I'm standing here? And you turn around and then you see the person has glasses and a white cane. It's going to change your perception of them, right? It's like, oh, you, you didn't know. And so what? I, I'll show mercy to you because you did not know that I was here. And that's the picture we're getting here. They didn't know their right hand from the left hand. Now, I don't know how old the king was or all these people, but they seem like they were past, you know, seven or 13 or whatever it is. And so I don't think there's an age of accountability. I think, again, we find things that we make in Scripture to make ourselves feel comfortable to try and understand things, but it's a lot more complicated, and God's okay with that. We're just not. God says, oh, I can have six billion different, you know, boundaries and scales like six billion no i can have like three i can you know figure there's the lost and there's the found and then there's those who are making decisions god says no i have six billion those who are lost and those who are not knowing their right hand from the left and those who are like sheep who look for your shape i mean god has a a million ways of seeing people because he knows them completely he knew the ninevites they didn't know their right hand from the left and all along in the story the Gentiles have been in the dark. All along, it was the sailors. They, they didn't know who was responsible for the calamity. The Ninevite king sent out a command. Who knows, maybe God will turn and relent. The whole time, Jonah knew, but he didn't say anything. Are you going to hold people accountable who do not know? It almost goes with Abraham saying, Lord, will you hold them accountable if there is one righteous? No, I'm not. Well, here, if they don't know what's right or wrong, would you hold them accountable? And the whole time, Jonah knew. What Jonah is in the Old Testament is what the prodigal son is in the New Testament. There's so many similarities, and I don't have time to go into the whole story. You guys are familiar with it. The younger son took his inheritance early, left, squandered it on just sinful things. The older brother stayed at home. When the younger brother said, I eat the slop the pigs are eating, he said, came to his senses, started thinking, I'll go to my father, ask him to be a servant. The father takes him in, throws a party, kills the fatted calf. The older brother hears what's going on, the commotion, asks one of the servants, what's going on? Oh, your younger brother came home and your dad is celebrating. He's having a party. And then the older brother gets upset, stays at a distance, won't go in, right? Do you see the similarities? Okay, you have the father in the prodigal story, God. The younger brother, the sinners, the Gentiles. The older brother is the one who knew, who kept things, who did what was right, who was outside, not willing to go into the party. Jonah outside the city, not wanting them to have mercy, And the story of the prodigal has so many avenues that are meaningful. But the point of the story is that will you be able to enjoin with the mercy that God is showing others? 
it's not just that the lost was found. It is that those who were religious, because that's the context, those who were religious could not celebrate that Jesus was eating with sinners. That was too much for them. Because who you ate with, that's who you identified with. Look at this man. He eats with sinners. And then Jesus tells this story of the prodigal. See, the older brother symbolizes the Lord's critics, the religious people, those who are against it. And he believed his father should treat the lawless, slacking brother with strict justice, just like Jonah felt that that's what should be done to Nineveh. And so when the prodigal returns, instead of beating him for being such a disobedient son, he throws a party. Jonah is the older brother, and he too is opposed to God's mercy. And he was angry and refused to go in. Jonah was angry, refused to see the mercy that God was showing. Both the prodigal story and the story of Jonah end unresolved. Here, God asked Jonah a question. Is this right? Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also their animals? He doesn't answer the question. Just kind of leaves us there. The prodigal son, does the son ever go in? Does he ever celebrate his brother? And so this is the beginning. This is the end of the story. But you see, the story is pushing us to make the response. See, I can see the the people listening to Jesus. Well, what happened to the, the prodigal or the older brother? Did he go in and celebrate? And Jesus says, I don't know. You tell me. Will you? See, I would hope that Jonah would say, I get it. I see it. Don't you think that I have enough reason to show mercy to these? Ah, yes, you do. But it doesn't end there. It left, this question's left hanging there. And we need to respond. You see, back in 1975, this movie, the Rock Horror Picture Show, came out and it had terrible, terrible ratings. Everyone blasted it because it's terrible. It, it's just not that good. But... It became a cult sensation. People started going to the theaters and started participating. They started singing with things. They started dressing up. And it became this big party that people started engaging with. Many think it was actually the start of the punk rock movement and all that was taking place at that time. And what was going on here, I mean, this movie started to develop a life of its own. So much so that it was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress in 2005. Of all the movies, this one is in the Library of Congress. Why? Because people started participating in it. The power was, we get to be a part of the story. The power here is the question ends, and you and I are the ones who answer it. The question hangs there and it says, what will you do? Do I not have the right to show mercy? 
what will you do with that? Well, I then have the opportunity to take God's mercy further and start talking to the people of Nineveh. But what has happened is we have to argue for God's mercy. Is God the God of the Christians only? Or is he the God of the non-Christians? Does God love only those who come to our church, believe like we do? Or does God love everybody? Do I have to fight to prove that God loves people of other religions? Do I have to fight to prove that God loves people whether they're gay or lesbian? Do I have to fight to prove that God cares for people where they're at who don't know their right hand from their left hand? The story is left saying, can God show mercy to even them? How will you respond to that? Will you say yes or no? You can't show mercy to them. Why not? Do you see the things that you concern and have pity and mercy for? Why can't God have more? Do you see the small things that you concern yourself about? Do you see the big things that God concerns himself about? And so the book ends leaving us the opportunity to finish it. The parable of the prodigal ends leaving us to decide whether the older brother will go in or not. You see, I think a lot of us, when we become followers of Jesus, we're identifying with the younger brother. Man, I was lost. I was blowing it. I came to God. But somewhere along the line, many of us turn into the older brother. And pretty soon we start judging, we start limiting we start challenging the mercy of God. You can love these people, God, and says, can't I love them all? Can't I show mercy to them all? What that mercy looks like may change. It changed with the people of Nineveh. That's up to God. But we need to let them know that God loves them, that God cares for them, that God wants them to be with him. That was what Jesus was about. How can you sit with the prostitutes? How can you sit with the tax collectors? How can you sit with these people? I'm just showing you God's heart. I'm extending what God is doing. And we need to do the same. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would instill this story into our lives and into our hearts. God, to see what area am I like Jonah? What ways am I like Jonah where I am not in tune with who you are and with your heart? And Father, whatever places that might be, whatever areas I might be that older brother who who can't celebrate your mercy and your grace, May I reason this through. May I think about it, that you are not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. Lord, that that's your heart, that that's your posture. Father, that the Sabbath was not made for man, but man was made for the Sabbath. May we understand that uh, even in Scripture, that the Scripture wasn't there to prevent men. It was there to enable us to know your mercy. May we not use it in a way that stops it or hinders it. God, may we have your wisdom 
May we have your compassion. May we see that you have a much bigger picture and view than we do. Give us hearts that will want to know what that is. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May you recognize that the God who cares about all Nineveh also cares about Jonah, cares about you. That God is wanting to show mercy to you as well as to those around you. Enjoy that mercy. May you be able to celebrate it in your life and in the lives of others. God bless you guys. Moms, don't forget to pick up your roses. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. Enjoy your time. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.